Live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. Hi, I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Noor Menninger. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. What were the qualities that pushed mankind forward throughout history? Deduction was an important element in our ability to understand the world around us. Innovation certainly aided us in our pursuit to master the forces of nature. But perhaps one characteristic above all others has driven our species forward. Curiosity. Curiosity is almost an instinct, an impulse to find an answer to questions, the itch to find new questions to which we ought to seek answers, and the ability to doubt and question everything around us. These abilities led us to be the dominant species on Earth and known universe, light years above any other form of life. But a very reflexive question comes to mind when we speak of curiosity, and that is, what is it that makes us curious? It seems we are so eager to find answers to questions that we never stop to ask the question why we're asking the questions. Dr. Mario Livio is a world-renowned scientist and the author of six internationally acclaimed popular science books. He was a professor of physics at the Technion, the Israel Institute of Technology, and worked with the Hubble Space Telescope from 1991 to 2015. His best-selling book, The Golden Ratio, The Story of Phi, won the Peano Prize and the International Pythagoras Prize for popular books on mathematics. Dr. Livio's new book, titled Why? What Makes Us Curious?, depicts his journey to understand the roots of curiosity. It's our great privilege to have Dr. Mario Livio with us today to discuss this curious topic. Two Nice Jewish Boys is produced by us on our free time. If you feel like helping us out and donating, go to 2NJB.com slash donate. Any donation is much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's uh, start with uh, the, how you start the book, which is uh, a short story you, you uh, describe there by an author named Kate Chopin. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Sure, yeah. Kate Chopin was uh, an American author. She lived most of her life in Louisiana. Um, she was married to a person of French descent named Oscar Chopin. And she wrote mostly short stories, but also a couple of novels. Um, I always liked her short stories, but while writing uh, this particular book, why, um, I hit again upon one of her short stories, which is called The Story of an Hour. Um, and that story starts with a, with a very startling sentence. It says uh, something like, knowing that Mrs. Mallard was afflicted with a heart trouble, uh, great care was taken to break to her as gently as possible the news of her husband's death. You can hardly start a short story <laughs> with a better sentence like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, you pack into one sentence both death and, you know, human frailty and so on. And, and this is very typical for all of uh, Chopin's writing. Uh, every one of her sentences uh, generates this sort of intellectual uh, cliffhanger in a way mm -hmm. that makes you uh, want to read the next sentence. So I thought it's a very good book to, 
you know, it's a, to, yeah. a, a very good story to start with a book about curiosity. You'd call it a, a, a page turner, if she, but apparently it was all on one page, the story. Uh, correct. The, the whole short story filled less than one page in Vogue. It was That's published amazing. in Vogue in, in 1894. And then yes. you talk about the final part of the story in which uh, she's in her room. And if I'm not mistaken, you, you, the sound of... Um, Of a lock of, of a knock on the door or of, of, of the somebody key. opening the yeah, yeah the, the, the key front door and yes. you you comment about how this event of someone knocks on the door or um, I don't know a knob turning of the door it's one of the most sacred right. curiosity arousing yeah. uh, yeah. uh, type of for storytelling thing. right because right. you can never I, I guess that's the reason for for knock-knock jokes <laughs> everywhere because you can't you right. can't help but right. ask who's right. there right right you exactly. have to yes. okay so um and then you you move on afterwards to describe to uh before you get in because the book is about really how you did uh how you um basically Uh, gathered all the research that's been conducted until today on the subject of curiosity. Sort of a journey. Yeah. Right. And, Your and journey. Because you, uh, you being an astrophysicist, you said, uh, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist or a psychologist. I, I need to read uh, uh, research that's been conducted by scientists in this field and try and understand this. But before you, you approach that, um, you sort of uh, profiled two people who you found to be Uh, abundantly curious yeah two two people that I regard as some of the most curious people to have ever lived yeah who might yeah. they be and yeah and they were well Leonardo da Vinci is one and I think that's pretty obvious and Richard Feynman who not everybody knows was the other was a very famous physicist uh, Nobel laureate and all that uh, he worked in every area of physics mm -hmm. uh, but in addition he was a bongo drummer He was a specialist in Mayan hieroglyphs. Uh, he was a world expert in safe cracking. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, and, and he also learned how to draw. Yeah, he learned how to draw. Um, so, yeah, uh, and Leonardo da Vinci, of course, uh, there is almost no subject in which he wasn't interested, yeah. with a slight exception of politics, uh, yeah. which was very smart on his side because... You know, when he lived, the Borgias ruled, and uh, they basically killed everybody who was interested ah. in politics. He, on the other hand, managed to even get funded by them. So, so he, he literally smart. only stayed away from the topics that threatened his life. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> But he was really interested in everything else. And I okay. mean, you know, from... Well, of course, painting and all works of art, but also machines and astronomy and how water flows and the anatomy and the blood and all of that, yeah. There's so once, sorry. Sorry, there's just, there's something you mentioned in the book that I wanted to ask you about because you, you mentioned the fact that uh, Leonardo da Vinci was notorious for not finishing uh, what he started. There was even uh, someone who commented that, I can't remember exactly who it was, never mind, but he's notorious a for pope, just yes. a pope that, yeah. that said what about him? Yeah, well, he said basically what? He's, before he even started, he started talking uh, yeah. about thinking about the finishing yeah. you know, and so on. I mean, this way, he's, he's never going to finish anything. Yeah, he was, he was testing the varnishes. That, that's right. Before, before he, started he even started the, the painting. painting. Yeah, that's right. We could so, all, all relate to that, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, especially Especially me. you, yeah. But, But um, <laughs> but I want to ask why you think that is that he was that he was that way that he started things and never finished them, and if that has anything to do with his yeah well I speculate in yeah. in the book uh, of course look Leonardo has been dead for 500 years so we cannot yeah. uh, 
know for sure, but I speculate that he has had some form of ADHD, um, uh, you know, some attention deficit disorder, which caused him to um, only be interested in things as long as he was really curious about them. But once he satisfied a little bit his curiosity about them, he was no longer interested mm-hmm. and was moving to a different subject. Now, because I'm not a psychologist or a neuroscientist, I, I did have to consult with some specialist in ADHD um, to find out whether, you know, I, I was completely off base when I was thinking that. Uh, but they, you know, they thought that I, I have a point there. And in, in particular, they convinced me uh, that even people with ADHD, uh, if they really like something, they actually can focus on that. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, he didn't finish many projects, but there are things he did finish, and yeah. he finished very well. Yeah. So, um, so that is possible for people for, with ADHD to do that. So okay. what is common besides the curiosity between those two individuals that you picked? Well, I, I think that what's not common is perhaps more interesting at some level, because, you see, Feynman was... incredibly strong in mathematics uh, and uh, Leonardo was rather weak in mathematics uh, on the other hand Leonardo was an incredible artist and Feynman was a very a mediocre ar- artist <laughs> yes which immediately tells you that whatever the area of the brain is where curiosity sits it's neither the area of the brain that is responsible for the extraordinary mathematics nor the area that is responsible for extraordinary art so I, I think that in itself already tells you something but creativity well okay so creativity uh, there are a number of re- researches in in um, in creativity uh, in particular by there was this well he's still alive uh, he's now retired um, Chicago psychologist Mihai chicks and Mihai and he Um, he did uh, some research he interviewed in particular about a hundred people in different disciplines who were extraordinarily creative and he discovered that if there was one thing that was common to all of these creative people it was very very incredible curiosity so curiosity appears to be a necessary uh, ingredient of creativity uh, it's not It's not necessarily a sufficient condition for creativity, mm-hmm. but it's a necessary condition for creativity. But it's a causality for creativity, meaning creativity. You can't say those who are creative are curious. You can say... Those no, who yes, are you cu- can. Yes. Those who are creative are curious, not yeah. those who are curious, curious will be creative. Curious are necessarily creative. creative. Okay. That is correct, yes. So how did you... Tell us about like, how you started the research and how you approached it. And why? And why? Well, okay, the why is actually very simple. Uh, it, it is just because I've always been, still am, an, a very, very curious person. I always was curious about things way beyond the things I work on in science. I mean, in science, I'm an astrophysicist. I was always curious about the universe, how it started, how it, it operates, and things like that. But I was always curious about music. I was curious about art, and still am, yes, and, and so on. So... Um, It, it just at some point I became very very curious about curiosity itself I wanted to understand how that works so this is the why um, now what did I do um, 
I started by gathering materials. I mean, you know, I, I searched the literature, um, the scientific literature in both neuroscience and psychology, uh, gathered lots of materials, started with a few review articles because they led me to, you know, a number of other articles that have been done so on. And then uh, I started talking to scientists in the field, to both mm -hmm. neuroscientists and, and uh, psychologists, um, talked to a good number of them, interviewed a few of them, uh, visited some labs and so on, and uh, eventually, you know, created for myself a picture of uh, current research in psychology and neuroscience about curiosity which is well, so I mean well yeah. let me let me get us off to a start because we're not gonna be able of course to cover the entire book as much as we would want to um, but we definitely recommend our listeners to go out and find it it's available right now of course um, Hard why, copy, but the own and also digital of course yeah yes. why what makes us curious is the right. title again um, but just to kind of like, uh, you know, get a, maybe a quick overview, you um, discuss early on uh, this, this, I'm not exactly uh, um, up to speed on the terminology, but you discuss something that I kind of remember as gap theory or gap in knowledge, which kind of relates, gap theory, information yes. gap theory, which kind of relates to Leonardo da Vinci in the sense that once he satiated his curiosity enough, he kind of let it go. But Tell us about, about that theory. So the information gap theory is a theory uh, that was suggested by uh, uh, an active researcher who still works, mm -hmm. uh, Lowenstein, at, um, at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. And his idea is that curiosity, um, when, when are we curious? It's when we see something that doesn't quite agree with what we know or at, at least think we know, mm -hmm. a gap is formed in our mind. And that gap is felt as an unpleasant, as an aversive state that we, we see this gap. Mm -hmm. And that curiosity's role is basically to fill that gap to take us out of this unpleasant situation. So in, in this sense, curiosity is, is like scratching an itch. You know, you have an itch, you, need, you feel that you need to scratch it. And this uh, theory proved quite successful on certain types of curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't touched upon this yet here in this conversation, but um, there was another uh, famous psychologist, Daniel Berlin, who identified at least four types of curiosity. Okay. Uh, there are more types, but those are four major types. So one is perceptual curiosity. He, call, he gives these names. Perceptual curiosity is indeed the curiosity you feel when you see something that surprises you, that doesn't agree with what you know. Uh, then there is epistemic curiosity. That's what drives all scientific research or great works of art. That's our real love for knowledge. Mm -hmm. you know, when you want to know new things, you know, mm -hmm. want to gather information. Well, before you go, perceptual again is when you see something. That surprises you. you so know, like, for example? So for example, uh, you know, you... You live in some remote village in Tibet. You never saw a white person in ah, your okay. life. You suddenly see one. Okay. Okay. Um, then, uh, so epistemic is what drives research and so on. And then there is diversive curiosity. Diversive curiosity is what uh, all the young people do when they continuously check for text messages uh -huh. on their phone. Yes, you all the time stick, uh, search for some... Well, for some stimulation toward of boredom, basically. Okay. Um, and then there is specific curiosity, which is when you are curious about a very specific piece of information, like uh, 
you know, who was it that wrote that book or what was the name of that actress mm-hmm. in, in that film and so on. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah. So, that's, no, that's not the knock-knock type of... Well, that's a combination of a okay. couple. So, in any case, so um, what uh, so the information have... gap theory uh-huh. uh, explains quite well uh, is a specific and perceptual curiosity. Indeed, when we see something that surprises us or when we are searching for a specific piece of information, indeed, it can be felt as unpleasant state. Um, and you know we need to fill that gap. Uh-huh. On on the other hand, um, it doesn't really explain epi- epistemic curiosity because epistemic curiosity, you know, that love of knowledge, you know, wanting to learn new things, that we feel more like an anticipation of reward and not as an unpleasant state. Uh-huh. I mean, most okay. of us actually like to be in that state uh-huh. uh, where we we are searching for new knowledge. Uh-huh. Uh, so so the information gap theory is. Is only covers partly uh, curiosity, but uh, there is this other part, in particular epistemic curiosity, which needs another mechanism. So, what what theories uh, address that part? So, so basically, there are uh, you know more modern theories that uh, suggest that uh, curiosity is not one mechanism, but it's a family of mechanisms, and in particular, you know, these two are driven by two different mechanisms, and. Interestingly enough, the neuroscience, uh, you know, when people actually take people, they stick them into functional MRI machines uh-huh. and uh, they make them curious either in perceptual curiosity by, uh-huh. for example, one of the experiments showed them blurred images of things so that people would not be certain what this is, is, is this, is, is that, and so on, or epistemically curious by asking them questions about knowledge, you know, like uh, who invented uh, the radio, I don't know, things like that and so on. Um, And they discovered that indeed, uh, when we are perceptually curious, the areas of the brain that are being activated are those that are associated with an unpleasant state, are associated with conflict or with when we're hungry. Uh-huh. And on the other hand, epistemic curiosity activates those areas of the brain that are associated with anticipation of reward, like when somebody is offering you a good glass of wine or a piece of chocolate, I see. you know, and so on. So, yeah. um, so indeed, perceptual and epistemic curiosity are different both in terms of what we feel mm-hmm. and in terms of the areas of the brain that they activate. I see. So there's totally different parts of the brain that right. are in charge of these two different types. But you right. actually mentioned four. Yes. Do well, you... yeah, but you see, specific falls together with more with a perceptual. I see. Uh, and diversive. Diversive is, is a little bit different because it's really... a. You know, basically, you, you're trying to, to stay interested and not not be bored. Yeah. So, yeah. But what can we deduce from that, you know? Uh, in what terms? I mean, uh, what we deduce from that is that uh, it, it is difficult to say when people say, okay, so can you define curiosity? Yes, I can. But if I were to define it by just one sentence, I, I would be doing it injustice because there are different mechanisms here. So you need to realize that there are these different mechanisms. And in fact, I think had we known all of this from the beginning, we might have even used different words 
for let's say perceptual curiosity and, and epistemic curiosity and mm -hmm. not use the word curiosity maybe we'd have called one interest and the other anxiety or something mm -hmm. something else uh, so the terminology is problematic maybe uh, well it's not problematic it's just that it doesn't capture the whole phenomenon right but it seems like these things are hardwired in us like they're some kind of it's almost like an instinct like we have the ins like we have the need to i don't know eat and uh the instinct to take our hand off of something hot we have the instinct to discover why and, our hand is and, getting and, burned and, and this is correct i mean uh many studies in particular with uh identical twins and also non-identical twins have shown that uh, a large component of curiosity is genetic. Um, so at the, at, at, of the order of 50% is genetic. Mm. So basically, if your parents, your grandparents were all very curious people, you're likely to be a curious person too. Okay. Uh, so, so that is, you know, the part where you say, okay, yes, it's part of us. Yes, it's, mm -hmm. it's part of our genes. Uh, but that still leaves about 50% uh, which, of course, are influenced by many other things. They are influenced by where you grew up, your environment, your parents, your uh, siblings, Choices. your teachers. Can, uh, you, can you train your curiosity? Can you make yourself a more curious yes, person? Yes, absolutely. People, now when I give talks, they constantly ask me this, especially they are interested about their children or grandchildren, you know, how yeah. to make them more curious. So, so the answer is yes, you can. Um, that's the good news. I mean, the fifty percent maybe you cannot change, but yeah. but the the other fifty percent you can. And I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, so suppose you have a you know five year old daughter, and she asks you, um, why can birds fly and we cannot? So uh, you know you can either ignore the question because, and many parents do because the children at that age ask lots of questions. Uh, you know, they ask why uh, a thousand times a day. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's or, a great comic sketch about that. Or they, uh, or they, uh, or they give some sort of offhand answer and so yeah. on. That's not the way to make her more curious. The way to make her more curious is is something like this. She asks you, "Why can birds fly and we cannot?" So you say, "Why do you think birds can fly and we cannot?" So she might say something. She might say, oh, well, maybe because uh, birds are light and we are heavy. Mm -hmm. So you say, oh, yeah, that's an interesting idea. So if that is true, that means that there are no birds that are heavier than us. So let's check if there are birds that are, are heavier than people, you know, and so on. So basically, you make, it into a game. you make it into a game, but which encourages epistemic curiosity. You can which then sit together, you know, even at the computer and check which birds there are. And I don't mm -hmm. know what, you know, and things because the ability to conduct good research goes hand in hand with curiosity. Of course. I mean, uh, all good research is driven by curiosity, of course, but. So that that leads me to a question that do you think that because of our our uh I don't know immediate access the the intense accessibility of knowledge today and information that you know you can ask yourself any question and look it up immediately yes does that make us maybe less curious because the answer is no and I'll okay. tell you why um uh, there's no so, more mysteries so I'll tell you why there is that's that's the point that there is you see all the scientific research that is being done is trying to answer questions that we don't know the answers to yet. 
Okay. And therefore, you cannot find those answers on the internet because they don't exist. So the only thing that the internet does for you, it, you can satisfy your specific curiosity much faster. You know, you have a specific question, who wrote the old man in the sea? You can Google it and find the answer. Mm -hmm. So that actually gains you some time you know, instead of having to spend a lot of time to find the answer to something as simple as that. Yeah. But then, you know, to concentrate on the real research questions. But, but what I'm saying is that you, you, it doesn't force you to ask the question. Because even, even if I'm not looking for a specific piece of information, if I'm looking for why it is that birds can fly and humans can't, I can look up all the research that's been done, I can see the questions that other people have asked. I don't have to ask myself those questions. That, that is very good. But, but you see, the thing is that if, if you are looking for answers to questions that to, uh, to, the answers are already, where the answers are already known, then that's very good. I mean, you were curious about this and you find the answer. That's great. So now ask a different question. Okay. So, uh, but, but the new questions, you know, the ones that we don't have the answers to, you cannot find those answers. I see. I see. Is there other uh, methods in which they researched curiosity other than, you know, sticking them and, and showing them images? Was, did you encounter other approaches? Well, functional MRIs is, you know, is the way that you now look at which areas of the brain are active. Ah, okay. It doesn't, of course, tell you... Uh, why the brain is doing what it's doing, you know, is that we still have a lot to learn about the brain. Mm -hmm. but, but at least it's, uh, it's telling you something. And when you combine that with the psychological research, it's only then that you start to see a picture, you know, mm -hmm. of what's going on. You see. So did you, did you ever, uh, I mean, I don't want to ruin it for the readers, but did you, ever, did you ever come to some sort of conclusion, like, what makes us curious? What, what is the purpose so, of curiosity? Well, well, first, let me just point out that the second, uh, the subtitle of my book is deliberately ambiguous in itself. Okay. Because you can read it as what makes us curious, which means what are we curious about, or as what makes us curious, namely what happens in our brain when we are curious. Okay. Um, so... I would not claim that research today has fully answered the question of what's happening with curiosity. Uh, because, look, I mean, it is very clear that to, to begin with, curiosity was necessary for survival. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I mean, we needed to understand our immediate environment. You need to understand cause and effect in order to be able to survive. But humans, and not animals, humans in particular have always been more curious, far and beyond what was needed for survival. You see, I'm interested in what happened in the Big Bang or, you know, or other solar system, you know, and so on. Those are not needed immediately for survival. Mm -hmm. And humans always were more curious than what was needed necessary. for survival. Yes. And, 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 and that, you know, we don't know for sure why that is or very you know, cocky, how it though. happened. Very cocky of us. What? To the, ask such questions and proclaim to 
well, have the ability to answer them. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, that's actually the surprising thing. You know what uh, what Einstein once said. You know that that the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible. Uh, <laughs> so, and so during your journey, what did you again? What 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 did you find that really surprised you? Or oh, many things surprised me. I mean, all these existence of these different types of curiosity. I wasn't aware of that uh, before. Um, I, I wasn't aware that there are already, you know, uh, MRI studies that show you exact areas of the brain which are uh, uh, triggered by curiosity. Um, uh, you, this realization that, you know, that there are many mechanisms involved and not a single one. Uh, I must say that I was also a little bit surprised by the fact that there aren't that many researchers who work on the topic of curiosity itself. Um, mm -hmm. I would have thought this would be a major area of research. And, uh, but you see, you know, in retrospect, I understand that because curiosity at the end of the day is part of our general consciousness. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, that is such a vast area and we, we need to understand so much that There are various types of things that people are interested in. Uh, many neuroscientists try to work on various disorders or various diseases or, you know, uh, there are lots of people who work on trying to find cure for Alzheimer's, you know, and things of that nature. So it is, a, it, in retrospect, I understand why not that many are working on curiosity, but I was still surprised that it's not more. And what, how did this process of writing the book change you and what did you what did you take from that process for your life well you know i think i understand better now uh, how uh, and why i am curious and uh, it only makes me even more curious you know to understand other things now because i'm not a neuroscientist i realized that i'm not the person who um, is going to bring in the breakthrough in this area uh, but What I think I have achieved, and I think that's a good thing, is that even though this is a popular science book and not, you know, a research book, um, most people that I talk to who even work on curiosity, they usually worked on very focused areas. And what I did was, you know, bring together many aspects of curiosity together into mm -hmm. one book. So I, I hope at least that in this I, you know, did some service to even the researchers in the in the, in the have, area have you thought what you would name such a field of science <laughs> if a, if maybe a field of science was to arise from this would is that the hope that that no, would you, be you, the no it doesn't need to be a specific um field of science i mean it, it is still part of psychology and neuroscience i mean mm -hmm. you know so uh, it's 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 not it's it's the study of curiosity i mean you know, but it I, seems like almost a, a branch of uh of philosophy of you know epistemology or uh um, well the word epistemic seems to uh, <laughs> to raise various philosophical connections but um only in the sense that it's the study of Uh, the acquisition of knowledge itself and uh, okay that's fine yeah i i i, I go back to don't worry I, i'm i'm on i'm looking at the time i i go back to the two people that we started this conversation with da vinci and Feynman, 
And I can't help but think, because you also mentioned it, that yes, they were indeed very curious and very talented, but at least in some aspects, that didn't serve them in the fact that they also made mis mistakes or they weren't as good in certain fields as they were on other fields. So what I want to ask you is, maybe sometimes it's also good to know your limits in, in your curiosity and focusing maybe is a virtue rather than dispersed oh, well, and ADHD well, there related. Is no, there is no question that, uh, you know, most of the successful uh, achievers in science today, I would say, are people who focused on a very particular area of research and, and did that. I mean, uh, you don't find many polymaths today. You don't find many Leonardos today. Um, uh, also, the amount of knowledge that is today is so much larger than was at the time of Leonardo. So I'm not sure that even Leonardo himself, uh, you know, would have been able to know today uh, in all these areas that he knew then. However, I will say, um, let's not lose hope on, um, you know, the so-called Renaissance person um, in the sense that we also tend today to live about twice longer than, you know, the average of the life during the time of Leonardo. So uh, while it is true that, you know, we need to invest, uh, you know, there is a magic number of 10,000 hours to become an expert in a field, um, we have more time to invest a few times 10,000 hours, perhaps to, you know, become experts in more than one field. Um, so it's still possible, maybe not to be quite another Leonardo, but, uh, you know, to still be a modern day Renaissance person. Can you pinpoint anybody that you might uh, uh, classify as a Renaissance? I don't know, maybe Elon Musk or... Uh... There, there, are, there are a few, and I, I, uh, I interviewed nine of them in the book. Uh -huh. uh, uh, so, you know, there are people uh, like uh, Brian May, for example, the lead guitarist of Queen. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the lead guitarist of Queen, but also has a PhD in astrophysics. He is an expert in Victorian stereo photography. He was a chancellor of a university. Um, uh, you have Noam Chomsky. Um, in Israel, they call him Chomsky, um, who is a very famous linguist, but who also wrote about music, about the brain. He's very active in politics and so on. Very controversial, but certainly, you know, worked in many areas. Uh, I mentioned Fabiola Gianotti, who is uh, the director of the... Center for European uh, Nuclear Research uh, uh, at, at CERN. Um, she led one of the groups that uh, discovered the Higgs boson, but is also an accomplished pianist. She mm -hmm. actually finished her degree in music before she studied physics and so on. So there are a few uh, people living today who mm -hmm. are... Um, uh, very much polymath. It seems almost inevitable, I guess, then that that if you are, if you are uh, uh, someone who is so curious that you won't be able to help your help you that you know the the impulse to to explore several different. Uh, Correct. If you are extraordinarily curious, that's yeah. true. Okay, so the book is called Why. What, what makes, makes us curious? What makes us curious, or what makes us curious, yeah. depending on how you want to pronounce it. And you can find it on Amazon and anywhere. And uh, and Doctor Livio has other books which we recommend. 
the the books are written extremely well very you know so anyone, eloquent and and really page turners <laughs> yes and anyone <laughs> can enjoy you. them you don't need Thank to you. be a mathematician just to clarify and uh well before we go we have a collaboration with the jewish journal of greater los angeles which is a, a newspaper in los angeles a great news source for jewish news they're at jewishjournal.com And And we are open for donations. We do this on our free time, guys. So if you want to throw your money, all your money our way, then we won't object. We'll happily take it. Just throw money at us. There's a <laughs> donate link on the, uh, on the uh, website, so feel free. And Dr. Olivia, you're on Facebook. Yes, I you're am. You're active on Facebook, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you on Twitter? I am, yeah. Okay, so we'll post links to everything. And thank you so much for coming here. My and pleasure. Good luck at your next books with your next. Thanks. Books. Guys, buy the book. Bye. Bye.